Welcome to Refrangible. I'm your host, Jonathan Fields. And I'm Jonah Chester. In the shadow of recent and past horrific events, many are finding themselves without shelter, without a home. But how do you define home? Is it a geographic location, a structure, or is it the people who we choose to love and care for? Chances are, it's all of those factors combined, and so much more. Over the next few episodes, we're going to be examining the idea of home through the eyes of artists, poets, refugees, and scholars. Marvin Tate is a musician, artist, and poet based in Chicago. On a warm, sunny spring day not too long ago, he and I managed to find a midpoint between Madison and Chicago so I could ask him how he defines home. I make stuff every, uh, almost every day. And he said, like, why is that? Yeah, where does that come from? Because it doesn't, does it feel like a nervous energy or does it just feel like a flow? A, a little bit of both. A, a nervous energy, mostly. Because I feel like I have to, in, in a really subconscious way, I'm, I, I think I'm dealing with this here. So, when I was a kid, my mom got sh- shot, right? And I remember, like, coming back home that night from my grandparents' house, back to our house, and the table was still uh, uh, placed. You know, there was a cake, sugar cake, on the table, and forks and knives and all that. It was like an Easter, and we hadn't eaten yet, you know. But the table was all set. And I, uh, I think, like, in a subconscious kind of way, I got to keep straightening this table out. You know what I mean? Like, I got I to make sense of this, of that table, you know, it's just it's the connection, like, you know, you, you, you're trying to make, you're trying to, like, rearrange a narrative. What do you think would happen? So then, if you're trying to rearrange the narrative, and you're trying to take control of, maybe, mm-hmm. a very uncontrollable time in your life, mm-hmm. what happens, do you ever think you'll get that table set? No. Is that the goal, to get it set? The goal was to rearrange it, uh, uh, rearrange it because there's a sense of uh, e- emergency. There's a sense of uh, you've got to get it right. It's almost like a, a, it comes like a peace of mind just being present. You know, a narrative no longer controls you because each time you create found objects, in my case, paper found, found objects, you, you get a chance to change the narrative change this, this, this city, rearrange, you know, the mood. That's, that's, what, that's what we're going at. Yeah, uh, how close do you get when you're trying to do that? Like, how close do you feel like you get to re- rewriting that narrative or reconfiguring that narrative? Because you're doing time travel mm-hmm, mm-hmm. using found objects. So how close can you get to that with objects that may not have been of that place, of that time? With gestures, you know what I mean? I think, like, uh, for instance, this bird here, uh, this, you know, home, defiant, looking out, you know, maybe it, it is a patriarch. Another bird, I'm going to have fun. You know, bird, the wings are flapping, combs, you know, made into feathers. 
know, and then, then, then you have like a, a, a bird like this here, wise, I'm looking out for us, family, home. So is it, is each bird then a representation of part of the dialogue of the narrative? Is, is each bird representing you in this safe place of home or is each bird representing what you want to see happen in that home and not necessarily exactly, self? Exactly, what I want to see happen. What I want to see happen even in my life. Like, you know, the way I learned to paint with objects when, my, when my, my, my oldest brother would make us toys out of aluminum foil, you know, and one of these narratives, Christmas didn't come exactly like we supposed supposed to, so he makes toys out of aluminum foil. And that was the best toy I ever had, you know, because it came from everyday surroundings. Me, to me, as I've gotten older and understood that, that someone could take something and rearrange the narrative rearrange his purpose, you know, and that was far more powerful than painting. And for, a, uh, how old was he then for a child to do that, for a sibling, is such a loving Twelve. gesture. Twelve. He was 12. You know, he's older, oldest, oldest brother, but, uh, and, and, and I was like, like six, you know, and, uh, but to, to, to accept that it came from home, you know. It can't, it didn't come from years of study. It came from home. Like my sometimes my my my, my most favorite, you know, toy was a rock that I would find, you know, uh, uh, you know, a, a marble, a dirty marble, you know, that connection with those spirits, that soul. It's like having leftovers and, and repurposing them. You know, that's, 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 that's what my art is about. That's what home is about. Repurposing home. And, and, and I'll just leave you this here for your next question, though, Jennifer. I always, I'm the youngest of six. I, I, I always would clean the house up at night when everybody went to bed and rearrange the furniture. I just wanted our house to look new every time my lazy ass siblings get up. I was like, <laughs> where are we at? Where are we at? Where are we at? I just wanted to like you know like like you know that kind of trick. But so so then it all ties into the just like this innate thing why we do what we do. You know, I mean, yeah, I might be a bit too impulsive with what I do, but it's, it 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 calms me down. You know, having that you know. But you know what? I don't I think that I always sort of bristle when people think that impulsive things are bad. I think impulsive things could be the most pure because you're not running them through some filter before it comes out of you. It's almost like from brain straight to hand. Yeah, 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 yeah it is. It is. It is. It, it, it's, it's, that, it's that sound before the vibration that you get at. And, and it's short. You can extend it, you know. You do that for me. I do it do do do, do music and and sculpt and, and, and sculpture. You can extend it, but you hear it like that. It's like that, that honesty, that sense of like unembellished, raw. It can be beautiful. It can be horrible. It can be all those things. 
but that's the, that's the kind of that's the honesty that I see in using you know found objects. That's the honest that's the sense of honesty I I have. I like to to incorporate in, in whatever I do, be it spoken word, poetry, or, or performance, having that that sense of uh, that only a few people can hear. Not everybody want to hear, people want to hear great notes. But that sense of like, it's like hearing a, uh, an old jazz record and hearing coffee in the background. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, present. yeah, 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 yeah. You're present and you're a voyeur. It sets the mood. It sets, yeah, it's like yeah. you truly become that fly on the wall without having to go through some yeah. transmorgification. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and so, so home. How do you define home? If you had to, if you had to tell someone about your idea of home, what would that be? Because you told me that all of your work starts from home. Yeah, yeah. Home. It's just like a a warm blanket. You know, uh, you never miss it. You don't. You don't know how bad you miss it until you're gone for a long time. You need that soul, that spirit. And you come from, uh, you know, the most dysfunctional family, and you become estranged, but somewhat. But sometimes you feel, I, 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 you know, I feel like, well, you know, I don't care how dysfunctional we are, we be. I got to go back home to that space. So is, is it the space or the people? The people, the space, the going back and and being still and listening and, and allowing them to to exist. Even though they don't even understand what you do, when you do, and why you do, who you be, you just have to be back in that space. So you can just say, "Yeah, okay, two hours, three hours, I'm good." So here's the place where once was home. Uh, it's called Insomnia in New York City. I am happy. I am happy to have her home. Again, her eyes are filled with tired excitement. I do not ask of her how was her night or what stranger she has seen. She'll discuss this after the harsh outcry of our next door neighbor as he watches in anguish the TV shooting of his favorite hero. And so we sit. We sit listening to the white noise of the ceiling fan spinning endlessly into oblivion. Junky mother pacing the dimly lit stairwell in search for her imaginary son and Pete. Pete, the crazy ex con turned artist from Rikers trying to convince the night clerk into allowing him, allowing him to paint murals in all of the ugly, lilac colored rooms. In exchange, he should have this room for free. Slowly, she peels herself out of a blue sequin dress while lying on the bed as if a mermaid washed ashore into the hands of the peasant fisherman. I prepared for her a tub of warm water in which she watches away the smoke and fingerprints of faceless Johns. She re-enters the tiny room. I tell her, I tell her how our neighbor screamed so loud, so loud that he stopped would-be thieves in their tracks after contemplating a robbery. She gives a reassuring smile, a 
and gently pulls the covers over her beautiful body. While somewhere in the night, the sax player fills her dreams with noise. Lots and lots of noise. I uh, used to live in Kyiv before the war and um, on the first day we realized that it will be dangerous to stay in Kyiv so uh, my family left on the Kyiv on the first day at night and we arrived in this western region Chernivtsi region on the second or the third day it was uh, hectic. We were afraid we would be bombed on our way, you know, on the train or at the railway station. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. And we were lucky to depart on the first day. We even bought tickets because several days later, the trains were crowded with people. It was uh, really a mess because uh, people uh, they uh, spent a night in these corridors, in the carriages. They, they were not enough seats, not enough place to sit or lie down in the train. So the trains were overcrowded and it was, they, they were terrible conditions to leave uh, uh, most cities in the east and uh, Kyiv already in the first week of war. My mom and sister, they departed from Kharkiv, uh, which is 40 kilometers from the Russian border in the east. They departed on uh, March 7th or 5th, something like this, and their uh, way was uh, really so difficult, so troublesome. They spent like two days non-stop without any sleep at the railway station and in the train. My name is Anna Harus and uh, I am a data analyst and uh, a policy analyst by education and by profession. I have obtained my master's in economics at Kyiv School of Economics and the University of Houston. Talk to me about Enlightening Initiative, the organization you work for and uh, the, the work you do for and with refugees. I am the director of a youth organization in Ukraine. I have been the director of this organization since 2017 when I was a student. And um, we do mostly educational projects for youth, career-oriented projects. And uh, since uh, the war started, uh, the full-scale war on uh, February 24th, 2022, 
we couldn't continue doing educational projects anymore because uh, other uh, priorities uh, have appeared. The priorities connected with uh, securing uh, food, uh, medicine for both uh, civilians and hospitals uh, and for both young people, children, families. And our team have uh, decided that we should um, fight on the humanitarian front of this war since we have skills, we have network and uh, a great willingness to do everything to mitigate the effects of this war on uh, young people and on ordinary people in Ukraine. Has it been difficult to get that food and medicine since the invasion began? It has been uh, difficult at times. In some cities, there is a, a shortage of medicine in many pharmacies in the East. As for the food, the food can be found in food warehouses in the cities. And the shelves are naturally not, not so full as before the war. So people... Even if they um, can buy food in the stores, uh, they uh, usually quite often they lack money because the people who haven't evacuated, these are mostly disabled people, the elderly, families with uh, many children. So these are low income groups of people and they uh, cannot evacuate it or they do not have where to evacuate. So they have decided to stay in the East for now. And uh, since the beginning of the war, uh, there are uh, there is active shelling in the East, in uh, all uh, regions in the East of Ukraine. So many people have lost their homes. Many of them have moved to neighboring cities or regions. So you can imagine they don't have... A job, they don't have a home, they don't have any belongings they have bought previously and they have um, had in their houses. That's why even if there is food, volunteer organizations work to provide these people with the essentials. You mentioned that things are particularly bad in the East, which is evident. That's the border Ukraine shares with Russia. How are things looking East compared to West? Is the West still relatively peaceful? Or what does the breakdown look like between those two sides of the country? Western regions are relatively peaceful. There are several which haven't experienced uh, shelling even just a couple of them. However, one region in the West, which is called Lviv, uh, has experienced bombing several times because there are military bases and air fields uh, in uh, some Western regions. So Western regions uh, were targeted primarily for having military airfields in specific places. Regarding the uh, economic situations and social implications, there is uh, an abundance of refugees in uh, Western regions, not uh, specifically refugees, they are called internally displaced persons, IDPs, um, in humanitarian terms. IDPs within uh, the country. So you may call them domestic refugees. And uh, uh, around 10 million Ukrainians minimum, uh, they lost their homes. 6.5 moved to Western regions of Ukraine, Western and Central. 
and um, more than 4 million Ukrainians moved abroad uh, since the beginning of the war. And this is a third of the population of Ukraine. And this is data uh, as of the end of March, beginning of April. I haven't updated myself on the recent statistics, so now uh, it's uh, probably even more than 10 million people who have uh, relocated. So in the West, there are domestic refugees and they uh, live uh, under different living conditions. There is uh, not so much um, highly equipped homes in the West. Most internally displaced people live in the countryside and not all houses have sanitation. And with, with small children, it may be particularly hard. So I may say the living conditions of many Ukrainians in terms of utilities, they have decreased naturally in the West. It's a really abundance of people and high density, I would say. So while you were relocating, while you yourself were seeking refuge from the invasion, you were overseeing and helping direct other refugees yourself. I can only imagine, I can only imagine, frankly, what the past couple of weeks have been like for you. That sounds harrowing, for lack of a better term. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) Everybody in Ukraine feels uh, that... They uh, are fighting in this war. Personally, they uh, feel a part of this war. So when we were living in Kiev, we were reading news nonstop and we were joining uh, social media groups meant at uh, specific actions. There were groups uh, blocking YouTube channels of Russian propaganda. Some uh, social groups were uh, railing, uh, signing petitions. So... On my way, I was constantly in my phone and uh, on my phone and my husband as well. And uh, the first three days looked uh, uh, like we were messaging and trying to find out the information, what we can do with our skills and our work experience. And our friends did the same. And afterwards, we connected with some professionals through our contact network and we started doing uh, something more large scale and meaningful. We became a part of a volunteer hub uh, in the West, in the city of Lviv. And um, my husband made uh, an IT system architecture for humanitarian aid, warehouse management in for one specific charity foundation in Lviv. In the first weeks of war, we were helping, cooperating with this charity foundation who already in the first week of war received humanitarian help from Poland. So they were receiving trucks of humanitarian aid in the first days of war already. And we were a part of it. And then uh, simultaneously, I was doing activities with my youth NGO helping our network specifically and our volunteers whom we worked with uh, for the last five years. And uh, gradually my NGO activities have grown. Um, they have grown exponentially. And uh, I'm, we are concentrated on the youth NGO now. So my friends and other Ukrainians, I believe you would hear very similar stories to mine, that people started doing everything from the first days of war and um, 
refugees in the east yes we were helping people to relocate to the west to someone move wanted to move abroad i'm sure several countries have but at least america has america is planning to give billions of dollars to help out in ukraine to help refugees in ukraine on your level it, at your ngo and in your contact network have you seen those dollars start to filter down or has has foreign aid at all hit you hit you all yet has it been able to help your operations uh, it's a complicated question. I know that foreign institutions have donated a lot to huge humanitarian organizations like uh, UNICEF, uh, Caritas, Red Cross, and um, many others. Frankly speaking, um, people, ordinary people criticize the work of such big organizations because some of them have compromised themselves, like Red Cross. There are three different Red Cross organizations, and I do not want to confuse one with another. <laughs> but one of them uh, has uh, started building a humanitarian center in Russia after the war has started, after the war started, for the refugees. And it's... Uh, just unbelievable that they're doing it for the donations received in connection with the crisis, uh, humanitarian crisis and the war in Ukraine, because um, people who are being moved to Russia now, they are forcibly moved from eastern regions, this, uh, apart from those who moved willingly before the war or who moved willingly because they had no choice. So there are numerous reports of humanitarian organizations about forceful deportation of Ukrainians to Russia from the cities like Mariupol. And uh, it's just um, outrageous that they, the Red Cross in, in, is investing now in a humanitarian center in Russia now. And uh, other organizations, I haven't monitored their work closely, but I also haven't heard of any specific Ukrainian organization like mine, a local initiative, which would receive funds from Caritas or some other, some UN organizations, for instance. I'm not sure why. My hypothesis is that they are taking too much time to settle this um, grant funding. I have already applied to the UN uh, humanitarian initiative in Ukraine last week. It's called OCHA. And hopefully we will um, receive some funds from them, but it is really burdensome. It's just uh, a lot of paperwork. So as most government public institutions, they are slow and they are not working on site, you know. So if, if people do want to support the work you do more directly, what's the best way to do that? The best way is to go on our website in light.org.ua it's really should be really simple to find this word in light in english and uh, you can uh, look at our work at our reports uh, our detailed descriptions photos and there is a donation information on the web page uh, so i uh, urge um, people who want to support Ukraine find local initiatives 
which work with people in specific cities and which uh, help uh, specific people. So local initiatives deliver aid uh, faster than huge organizations, unfortunately or <laughs> fortunately, they find a way. They uh, move some stuff, you know, on private cars. They uh, risk their lives with drivers and they do it faster than big organizations. For instance, actually, uh, this week we delivered uh, around three tons of uh, food and medicine to to the city in the east, Slovyansk, um, in Donetsk region. And, uh, you know, three tons, uh, it was our biggest uh, delivery, um, but it sounds to me huge. It sounds decent even compared to governmental, local authorities and uh, international organizations. So we, we are doing our best and we are really motivated and we realize that we have no time <laughs> on paperwork, like huge organizations. We don't have any office. <laughs> and so we, we need to act fast to help people. And we are going to conduct some workshops at American universities, in particular, American University in Washington, D.C., have already contacted us. So this workshop will look like life uh, and business management at war. Some of our NGO members, um, education representatives from universities and also business representatives from Ukraine, they will talk uh, how they restructured their activities and their business activities because of war and how everyone in Ukraine got a specialization in humanitarian aid. So I think this could be interesting and enlightening for uh, an American citizen. So feel free to follow us um, in um, social media and uh, join to our online events, both for Americans and for other foreign citizens. You've been listening to Refrangible, a production for the Center for Design and Material Culture at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And a special thanks to our guests for this episode, Marvin Tate and Anna Harris. If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe and leave a review. You can also give us a shout out on social media and let us know what you think about the show. Or if you have any thoughts or recommendations for future episodes, just tweet at UW underscore CDMC. Until next time, I'm Jonah Chester. And I'm your host, Jonathan Fields, and we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.